It's time for JT the Brick. The years are ticking off, JT. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you're playing. You know, you got to show up. you got to play at the highest level. You're not going to win in this league. JT the Brick. Hey, Raider Nation, let that sink in. Since 2018, he has 25 interceptions. Raider fans go crazy around here when a guy gets two for the entire season. Anytime, JT, can uh, hide all my uh, Raider fans out there and go Raiders. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you on a busy day as we get rolling here. Raider Nation Radio, 920 as we're rolling. How's everybody doing? Just got off the phone with Vinny Bonsignor. Had a nice conversation with Vinny, our teammate here, the Raider Insider, as he wrote the cover story today at the Review Journal, which I read over a glorious cup of coffee today at the Pete's Coffee in Summerlin, right by my house. And the cover story said patience paid off for the Raiders in free agency. It was such a good column. I called Vinny in Florida, and I dug deep on it. Wanted to get his opinion on everybody he was talking to, everybody that he saw down there. We had a great conversation, and that's how I prep for my shows. I talk to people. I get into it. I want to know what they're thinking. Either we have them on the show as a guest, or I get a better understanding of what happens. People call me all the time asking me about the Raiders, and I go on their shows And I wanted to lead with this as we're brought to you by our good friends at the Stratosphere as they have Sammy Hagar in the residency there, top of the world. They did a fresh remodel there. If you haven't been in the Strat, you haven't seen the lobby, you haven't seen the PTs inside, you got to go see it. It's that good. Plus 64 taverns in the Valley, PTs. They fuel the monologue. And, man, they're ordering up. They're stocking food and beverage for the Final Four on Saturday during their happy hour 5 to 7. At midnight to two. So let's get into Dave Ziegler landing two of the top free agents and two of the best players, the league's top prizes overall. They did it. And I don't think that requires a lot of patience. I think that takes a lot of guts and balls. So as the cover story says, patience paid off. I don't think patience paid off. When I look at all the players that they brought in, Anthony Averett, uh, Darius Phillips, uh, Garrett Gilbert, I start looking around at Duran Harmon, Brandon Bolden, Jacob Johnson, Alex Bars, Vernon Butler. Yeah, all of this makes sense to me. Jacob Hollister at tight end. That took a lot of patience and figuring out where they fit in with the salary cap and what you're going to do. But there was no patience, in my opinion, going after Devontae Adams. I mean, that, that took a check. You're going to write a check, an enormous amount of money, went into Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams. And the way they were able to do that is restructure contracts, get rid of players, do a deal with Max Crosby ahead of free agency. They did a lot of work. And from what Vinny told me uh, down at the Breakers is that everybody in the building down there that he's talking to is very impressed with the Raiders. They take the Raiders very seriously, not that they didn't in the past, but they realize there's a new regime and they're doing business differently with two individuals who are completely locked in on the same page. Look, we all knew last time with Gruden and Mayock that they got along and they worked together, but we all knew that Coach Gruden had full control. And I agreed with that, that he was, he was the big name when he came to the Raiders, the biggest name available. Mark Davis got him. It didn't work out for a lot of reasons that are happening now, and that's going to evolve into another story. But when Mark Davis pivoted and went out and got the guys from the Patriots, He expected this. He expected guys to work together and be on the same page and to get it right and to do the right thing and to get it right with more picks. Make sure that there's not as many misses. You can swing and foul the ball off, but you can't swing and miss. And that happens. And I thought Mayock hit a home run with Max Crosby and Hunter Renfro. Home runs. And then you look at some of the swing and misses and you look at some of the players that are no longer here and you scratch your head especially from a dead money cap situation and some of the players that they had to say goodbye to. So I'm not integrating this now. This is where it gets kind of quiet unless the Raiders pounce and get another free agent, which they could. Of the 101 free agents left, there's about seven or eight who are high profile and two or three that I think still fits the Raiders' needs, but those players are probably waiting till later in June to see if they can get more money, or someone gets hurt, and maybe they come to the Raiders before and after that. I'm, I'm not privy to that. 
But wow, what an offseason as the owners' meetings are wrapping up down in Florida. And the Raiders go in there, and they're not popping their collar. You know, the Raiders are not going in there popping their collar saying, look at us, we're at the breakers, sit down with us in the elite couch area, and we're going to tell you how great we are. It's stealth. It's silence. It's we're going to work, and we're going to get the job done. And, oh, by the way, have you noticed we brought in uh, two of the best players available to help us win a championship. This looks to me more, it just looks a little bit different on how they want to build the championship team. Because the elephant in the room is Kansas City in the division. The Chargers that have Justin Herbert, Khalil Mack. We know that Denver got Russell Wilson. I think the world to him. He's a great quarterback. Raider fans are going to rip him for years to come, but he's a great quarterback. And with all that, how do the Raiders win the division, host a playoff game, and make a run to the Super Bowl? I think this is the offseason that most Raider fans have been more excited about since when. I think you got to go back to after the 2016 season where the Raiders went 12-4. and And coming off that season, a lot of people expected with Derek Carr coming off the injury that they would make a run at the Super Bowl. I did, and it didn't work out. There were a lot of other distractions behind the scenes. There was a lot of distractions behind the scenes last year that everybody talked about, but Rich Passaccia came in and took the team to 10 wins. 10 wins, and the coaches did a pretty good job overall, and the majority of them are gone because this is the next step now. Like it, love it, or not, this is the next step, and it's been very pleasant here the last couple of weeks on the radio to hear the Raider Nation coming together. Now, we're sitting here right about to get into the month of April. It's March 30th. And then when we start April, we're going to start talking more and more about the draft. As Vinny talked to Dave Ziegler and everybody was down there, they'll keep the door open of trading into the first round. But they don't have a first and second round pick. So when you look at what it's going to be like on the strip, you know, outside the Bellagio, looking at the link and the Ferris wheel, hopefully there's going to be a couple hundred thousand Raider fans. I mean that too. They're expecting, they got to beat the number of 600,000 in Nashville, and that's a real number. If you saw the drone footage of Nashville and what it looked like, Vegas is on the clock. Vegas has got to come through in a big way and make sure that there's more fans than Nashville because then we're going to get that event again. After the draft, they're going to Kansas City and Detroit. Give me a break. No one wants to go to Kansas City or Detroit for the draft in April. I can promise you that. They'd like to come back to Vegas, but Vegas has got to do a pretty good job in filling up the, filling up the strip and filling up those hotel rooms. And is there a chance that the Raiders can trade into the first round? Hell yeah. You could potentially package a couple of players and move up. You can do that. I'm not saying that I'm privy to that. Cleland Farrell, other players on that team that you think are pretty good, but you're saying, hey, they're not a fit because Dave Ziegler wants his own guys. I don't know. Maybe you can package a couple guys and move up and get into the draft. I would doubt it. I would doubt it. Because I think the Raiders built their team pretty good here in the offseason. Man, they got a brand new football team. But um, I'm optimistic that something will happen in the draft, and we'll see how that plays out. So I wanted to lead with Vinny's column today. I thought it was really good. And Vinny and Ed Graney and the columnist here, the ones we put on the air, Paul Gutierrez, who's the gold standard at ESPN, Vic Tafer from The Athletic. We put them on because they have good content. I have great connections with the Raiders. These guys got great connections and content. And we try to bring it to you on the flagship here. So if anybody wants to talk about, as we wrap up the owners meeting, the big topic today and call to action is what do you believe is the new impression of the Raiders? What do you specifically believe is the new impression of the Raiders globally from an NFL perspective? So when you watch NFL Network, when you watch Fox, ESPN, when you hear the Raiders being talked about, I want to know what you think in the Raider Nation is the new perception. Do you love it? Is it a work in progress? Do you think there's still a level of disrespect that I often point out on this broadcast? But I think you know it's different, but I don't know what you think until you call me. How is it different, and how does it fit you as a Raider fan? 702-365-9200 is the number. I think the perception from talking to Vinny just about 10 minutes ago and reading the column Some people want to say, well, the team's more mature. 
I'm not going down that road. I know the guys who were here before. They were very mature. These are all adult men and women. They're mature. Okay, they're businessmen and women. They're coaches at the highest level. But these guys are doing it differently. And they're doing it with the Bill Belichick guidance of what Belichick did in New England that worked well. So with all of that together, I'm pretty impressed. And this is much more than I thought as I take a look at my depth chart here in my studio. And I just can't believe the amount of players that they landed. And hopefully the players that are going to compete for jobs. Brandon Parker. When you look at the players that were invited back here to compete for a position here, and you start looking at new players like Jan Brown at at linebacker, Darius Phillips uh, coming in at corner special teams, it looks like there's a spot for them, but I I can't guarantee if they're going to start. They're going to be a rotational player. They're going to be on special teams. I do know that I think they're really strong up front with Chandler Jones and Mad Max and Vernon Butler and the defensive tackles they have. I think they're better when it comes to the linebacker position because they're bringing in linebackers that they're familiar with, very familiar with, from New England and the culture that they're expecting there. I like the addition of Rock Yassin at cornerback because I think he could be a pure cover cornerback replacing Casey Hayward. And then I love Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones. They're superstars. And those superstars are going to have to play well. And I saw Demarcus Robinson make a lot of big plays against the Raiders over the years. Big plays. When Tyreek Hill was getting doubled and Kelsey, for whatever reason, they didn't throw to him. And he was able to make plays. So I think the team looks pretty good. The only thing I'd like to see them do is get another linebacker and get a starting offensive lineman. And you don't get a starting offensive lineman in the third round of the draft. You don't. That kid gets invited and he comes to camp and he's a small guy compared to the NFL. He could be good, but he's going to get pushed around and he's going to stumble early. And I don't think the Raiders need that now. I think the Raiders need an offensive lineman who's well-recognized around the league, who gets cut during camp or something happens with another team. It could be a salary issue. It could be anything that happens and that player becomes available and the Raiders bring in a starter. You give, me one, you give me one more starter on the offensive line, one more starter, a right tackle or a guard, not a fill-in guy, not a guy who can come in and help. You get me a starter there, and this thing is damn buttoned up. This thing is buttoned up big, and Derek probably, I think we'd all agree with the contract extension coming, you look at everything that's been done, then you're using the term threading the needle that I rarely use in sports. It's used in politics a lot in an election. When the only way to win an election is you got to thread the needle. you got to get everybody out to vote. you got to make sure that this happens, that happens. You're a heavy underdog, but you thread the needle, and it all comes together and you win. Well, the Raiders here, the last thing to thread that needle is they've got to get offensive line help. And it's, it's not going to be a superstar, but it's going to be someone who's going to step in and play and start and give that line a little bit more stability. Other than that, I'm pretty good. This roster looks good because it's got two new stars, superstars in Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams. And I think this town, finally, people are coming through with their promise. The promise was in Las Vegas, we are going to recruit superstars to move here and play football. Not think about it. Not think about it. They're going to come. And with Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones, you had to take out the checkbook. Mark Davis had to take out the big checkbook, not the small one, the one in the back of the building. You know, they had to crane it in, the big checkbook, and write these checks. But both these guys are legit. Adams is in the absolute beginning of the prime of his career. And Chandler Jones is so good and in such great shape. I think we all need about two good years out of him, great years, maybe a third. But I just care about next year. I look at it one year at a time. So I'm fired up for that. What is the new definition of the Raiders today for the offseason? Because I'm flowing to the Lakers. I'm running over to the Final Four. I got Shane Knighty going to join us from the Golden Knights broadcast as they're up in Seattle, and they're going to play the Kraken. And the Golden Knights pretty much, it feels like they have to win out for this wild card race. I was there on Saturday when they won. It was electric. Now they have to build on that, and, and you better beat Seattle. You better beat the expansion teams if you want to get into the playoffs. There are two points waiting the Vegas Golden Knights tonight, and they must get them 
as they are in Seattle to take on the Kraken. This is a very important game. I believe the game starts 7 p.m. here Pacific time on our sister station as we open it up. A couple of sound bites I want to play from the owners' meetings. First, Bill Belichick. He was swarmed by the media because he doesn't have an offensive and defensive coordinator. Josh McDaniels left to become the head coach of the Raiders, and Belichick was asked, what are they going to do to replace him? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not big on titles, so we have jobs to do. We'll do the jobs. I don't know what difference it makes. Yeah, I love that. Well, I'm not big on titles. <laughs> I'm not big on titles. He's not. He's big on Lombardi trophies. Belichick's big on Lombardi trophies. That's what he's big on. But they got to get an offensive coordinator, and it seems like Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, guys who have failed as head coaches, are coming back there, and they're going to take over in that role. Belichick still has all the power. Uh, some of the sound, Rich McKay from Atlanta uh, as they buttoned up overtime, playoff overtime. Big topic on my SiriusXM show last night. Phones were packed on this. Like to get the same momentum going here on Raider Nation Radio on playoff overtime and the data that backed it up that they had to go in this direction because in overtime, in the playoffs, it's been like 10 out of 12 times whoever wins that coin flip ends up winning the game. We've had 12 postseason games. Since 2010, the record is 10-2. and two. The team winning the toss wins 10 times. The team losing the toss wins twice. And seven of those 10 wins happened on a first-drive touchdown. That data was compelling to us. Well, it's strong, compelling data. That's why they changed it. They changed that. And McKay was asked further about this rule change and why the postseason only. Why not try it out in the regular season? We had a lot of uh, discussion. We had a lot of people that had different positions. And what we uh, put forth was an amendment to plan rule proposal number one to uh, not change the rule in the regular season and only change the rule in the postseason, which is where our problem principally uh, lied uh, as far as uh, having that first, uh, first possession touchdown. Yeah, I think this is a good move for the postseason because in the postseason – there are a limited amount of games. In the regular season, there's too many games, too many television conflicts. Imagine having three, play, uh, three regular season games in week four in overtime, and they're 10 or 13 minutes into overtime, and they're in the first window, and all those other games aren't on TV. I mean, you got red zone, but most people in the country doesn't, don't have red zone, and they can't get the game that they want. In the playoffs, you don't have that scheduling conflict, and you can put it together. You can do that. So it makes sense. It's entertaining. And who's not going to be entertained by that? You know, I, I wanted to share this yesterday. I didn't get a chance to do that. Last year, the Raiders had a bunch of late-ending games, right? Late-ending games, the Charger game, the Miami game, right? We saw that happen with Baltimore. So I do the post-game show, and we do it down at the Manello Lounge. And Eric Allen and I got to get down there. So about the two, three minutes before, or four minutes before the two-minute warning, when they shut the elevator in the press box, or if I'm, if I'm in my seats, I got to get over to the other side of the stadium to the Modelo Cantina. And I get there and I drop my computer and we got the setup there for the post game show. And then Eric and I go into the crowd and we watch the overtime because as soon as the game ends, we're on the post game show. And it's shocking how many fans leave. I'm, I'm not saying just Raider fans, fans in general, that in overtime, everybody's just looking at their watch going, oh my God, there's 60 something thousand people here. If I get ahead of everybody, if I leave, I'm going to be able to get ahead of everybody. Like, where are you going? Like, what do you got to catch a bus? <laughs> you, you worried about your parking spot and people leave. Now you have this potential for two possessions in overtime in the postseason. That's going to keep everybody in their seat. Everybody's going to sit in their seat. If a team gets down to the five-yard line, you know they're going to make a field goal and win a game in overtime. You're not going to leave because the other team's going to get a possession. It's going to be better for the entertainment value. So I'm excited about that. Roger Goodell had a mini State of the Union yesterday. We got that sound in. He talked about a couple of important topics. A big one is Daniel Snyder from the Washington Commanders. And where has he been? Will he be in front of Congress? What's going to happen with Snyder and his involvement with the Washington team going forward? Here's the commissioner. Dan Snyder has not been involved in day-to-day -day operations. I uh, don't believe he's been at the facility at all. Um, and we continue to have league matters. Tanya's represented the team as the CEO. She represented the club here. And that will continue for the at least the foreseeable future. So when he talks about his wife in control of the team, 
You don't think the wife has a cocktail with him every night on the yacht and talks about what she knows? He's in control of the team. This has not been handled well with Daniel Snyder. It hasn't been handled well. And the NFL's got a couple of big problems in front of us that they still have to address. One being the Washington football team, now the commanders. And then Roger Goodell mentioned what's happening with Deshaun Watson as one of the deposition tapes have been leaked now. And what Watson is dealing with, he's not out of the woods yet. He won't be charged criminally, but there's still some civil cases out there. And the commissioner was asked about it. That's up to the investigators. They will make the determination of when to do that and who to do that with. We will seek to speak to everybody who can give us a perspective and try to get to the bottom line and, and the facts. Yeah, they're going to try to do that. Remember, the, the NFL has bigger resources. They have more money than the Houston Police Department. I, I've always taught, tell, remind people that. The NFL has an unlimited budget. Remember the document they put together for Deflategate? Spygate, the investigations that they did with Ray Rice. They have former FBI, former police, and they have a blank checkbook. Typical police department in a certain city, they don't have a blank checkbook. They have a budget. They can't investigate. The NFL is investigating this, and they're going to come to their own conclusion on how many games Deshaun Watson is going to miss. And remember, the commissioner pointed out they don't need to have formal charges that he could be convicted with to make him sit games. He was asked about that yesterday. We've been very clear with every club. The personal conduct policy is something that's very important to us. And so the personal conduct policy does not need a criminal violation to be a violation of the personal conduct policy. So they recognize that that's something that we're going to pursue. So that's what's going to happen. There are clips now being leaked of Deshaun Watson's deposition. And that's going to add fuel to the fire here on what's going to happen. And the NFL won't use the commissioner's exempt list for Deshaun Watson, but a suspension is in play. And that's another negative story that the the NFL wants to talk about the draft. The NFL wants to talk about free agency. The NFL wants to talk about new head coaches. They don't want to talk about Daniel Snyder, Brian Flores, John Gruden's emails, Deshaun Watson. Let me tell you, there is a lot for Roger Goodell to clean up here as we go into the month of April. There are a lot of off-season issues that have to be resolved at some point because it's bringing negative attention to the league here as they're trying to clean that up. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins retires. What a career he had. He did that on social media. We'll have that a little bit later on. And the Lakers, completely now out of the playoffs. Wow. Vegas is a big Lakers town. Just drive around and see the Laker flags. There's a lot of Laker fans who are out here today. And what's happened to that franchise is literally shocking. 702-365-9200. Raider Nut in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for starting us off. What's happening? Thank you, JT. Uh, first time call, long time listener. I'm calling about the perception of our of our, of our team mm-hmm. uh, through the eyes of ESPN and NFL Network. It hasn't changed, JT. You know, we get Adams, and he becomes just a, a route runner instead of the best wide receiver in the league. Uh, Chandler Jones, we pick him up. He's one of the best sack guys in the league since 2012. And they're not even talking about him, but they're talking about Randy Gregory like he's the next coming to Reggie White. So, you know, when he goes to the Broncos. So it just it, it hasn't changed at all. And it's not going to change until we win the trophy. That's all I have to say, Jason. Yeah, I, I think it's changing. I appreciate the call. I think it's changing a little bit. I do. I mean, Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams, along with Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, the new stadium, the new practice facility, I see some of it changing. I don't see it changing from a gambling perspective. The Raiders still have long odds to win the Super Bowl and win the West. But I, I think there's a little bit of respect coming their way. That was what I was talking about with Vinny in Florida. Uh, Vinny was talking to other people, not just Raider insiders, and the Raider brass that was down here, and he said he was very impressed of what everybody else thinks, his contacts around the league about the Raiders and how they, they picked up so many good players. And look, they picked up a lot more players than Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones. I mean, I got 18 or 19 players here on my list. I could be off by one or two. They brought in a brand-new football team. Everybody's competing for a job. Everybody. The only guys whose jobs are really safe to me are Colt Miller, Mad Max, Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, Derek Carr, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. Who else? Rocky Asin, Trayvon Merrick. I mean, you look around... Someone was brought in almost at every position to compete. I know Josh Jacobs should be looking over his shoulders. 
I think Josh could have a great year this year. Josh could be looking at Brandon Bolden and what they have and what they brought in and what they might bring in. Kenyon Drake, who they have and might say, wow, if I don't have a big year this year, what's my next contract going to look like? So everybody, oh, and Daniel Carlson and A.J. Cole, those guys' jobs are really good. But there are a lot of guys who are going to have another guy right behind them in the drill who wants their job. And these two guys, they don't play favorites. <laughs> they don't play favorites. I don't know Dave Ziegler yet. I've interviewed Josh McDaniels. These guys aren't playing favorites. You get your ass in that building. You be in shape. You be under the radar, you play for this team, and you win games. And if not, you will not be here. That was the way in New England, and it's clearly the future in Las Vegas. Brian Windhorst is going to join us. Big guest on the NBA from ESPN. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, I mean, once we, you know, you get into the negotiation process with, with an agent and, you know, once you can find kind of find some common ground, um, that's, when, that's when those possibilities, you know, become a little bit more, I would say, real. Because, right, you can call someone and they say, hey, we're at this price point and you're not, and then that, the deal kind of starts and ends really quickly. And so there was some common ground there, and um, there was interest on both sides, and so we were able to, you know, able to get it done. Dave Ziegler on what the Raiders have done in free agency, Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, all the moves that are out there. Welcome back. Brought to you by M Resort Spa and Casino. The Raiders came to me. We worked together. I said, talk to Raider legends about their draft story. We had Fred Bolitnikoff on. We had Monty Johnson on Monday, Mike Ciani on Friday. And one of my favorite human beings, one of the great Raiders of all time, one of the greatest tight ends ever to play in NFL history. Raymond Chester joins us today. And Raymond, it was good to see you recently. Today we want to know about your draft story. Tell me about coming out of Morgan State, 1970, round one, the 24th pick. What were your expectations? Well, first of all, hey, hey, DT, it's always good to be with you. And hey, to your, your many fans. Um, yeah, boy, I tell you what, you know, um, a lot of things you remember about your career, especially if you played a long time, like I was fortunate enough to do, but nothing do you remember any better than you remember draft day. And I remember being at Morgan State along with, uh, uh, some of my teammates who were, who were expecting to possibly be drafted. And, uh, it was just, it was just excitement beyond control. We were so nervous. And so excited that we, we tried to plan a few things that we were going to do. So we tried to do everything but watch, watch TV or, or listen to the radio. We, you know, we went out to – we went to shop pool. And then we went – we went, decided we were going to go to a, uh, a high school basketball game. And, and uh, so we went to a high school basketball game. There were about six or eight of, eight of us guys. And uh, – um, we stayed there and then went back to the campus. Well, by the time we got back to campus, the draft had started and several of our guys had been drafted, um, including myself, who had been drafted by the Raiders. Um, but we had a couple of guys that go in the, in the early rounds, you know, third, and, and I think a guy went fifth and stuff like that. So we had, we had a total of 11 guys that got drafted. Wow. Off, off our Morgan team that year. And uh, fortunately, I was uh, I was uh, the only number one draft choice there. But man, how exciting was it! I'll tell you what: there were notes on our cars when we got back. <laughs> Everybody was looking for us, and we were hiding out at, at, at a high school basketball game so that so that we could avoid being, uh, you know, just being over overly excited. So uh, it was a heck of a time. Uh, uh, there's nothing like the draft. I think mm-hmm. for every player. Whether they're, even whether they're free agents or draft picks or whatever, I think the draft day is uh, is the height of yeah. uh, excitement for a young player. 
Raymond Chester joins us. So, Raymond, as a member of an historically black university and at Morgan State, you were a member of the 1968 undefeated team. You scored the only touchdown in that historic game at Yankee Stadium over Grambling. And look, there were great scouts back then, and Mr. Davis, Gil Brandt, and those who scoured all the universities. But you were in a massive game, and a lot of people remember that game. Do you think that assisted you and helped you with notoriety at that time when you came into the draft? Absolutely. I mean, there was there was 70-some thousand fans <laughs> at that game. Uh, and it, it was at a historic point in, in, in time, you know, it was 1968, a lot of stuff had happened. Martin Luther King had just been assassinated. Um, you know, there was some question as to whether or not the game was going to be postponed. Um, it, it would mark the first time that two historical black colleges had ever played on that size stage, on a stage that, you know, or before a crowd of that kind of magnitude. And uh, nonetheless, in, in, in New York City, so there were, there were a lot of things going on in and around that game. Um, certainly, uh, um, to, to, uh, uh, that, that became historic. Um, certainly the game, Gramlin versus Morgan, um, uh, and certainly the, the political aspects of what that game meant and, and how we played the game. And the outstanding thing about the game, JT, was that, um, you know, there was all kinds of hype about whether there was going to be violence or, you know, looting, raiding, this kind of thing like that. But I can say uh, that according to all reports that I've read and what I saw personally in the game, there was not, there was not one incident uh, of significance in that game and during that game or after the game involving the crowds uh, of thousands of uh, young college kids and, and their families that had, that had come to the game from – from Gremlin, Louisiana, or, or Ruston, Louisiana, or from from Baltimore and and surrounding areas to watch that game, and we, awesome. were, we were really really proud of that. That, that you know our coaches uh, admonished us, uh, you know instructors admonished us, you know to just uh, just be peaceful and respectful. And uh, boy, I was sure happy that it turned out that way. And I think that's that plays a big part as to why that game is so historic and so memorable to so many people. Raymond Chester, Raider legend, cult legend, one of the all-time greats. So, Raymond, you, you get drafted, you head on out to Oakland. What was that like for you, uh, born in Maryland, uh, mentioning Baltimore in your high school, Morgan State, after that? What was it like? What did the world look like to you when you got off the plane in Oakland? You're going to compete for the Raiders on some pretty good teams at that point that are still trying to punch their way through playing in some of the biggest games. What was the transition like for you personally? Oh, man, I'll tell you what. It was, uh, <laughs> it was amazing because, uh, you know, I had been – uh, on, uh, I'd been on an airplane one time um, when uh, we uh, Morgan played in a bowl game down in down in Florida. So that was the first time that we had been on. An, I had been on an airplane down, and you know we went down to the Tangerine Bowl, played mm-hmm. Westchester State down there. So it was my second time on an airplane, and um, never been west of the Mississippi. Uh, just you know, just. I didn't know what to expect. And when I got out, the thing that's, that amazed me more than anything else was just how vast mm-hmm. uh, California was. And, all, and seeing all the, all the vast grasslands and trees and forests and that kind of thing. And then I remember, uh, got into, uh, flew into San Francisco. And then at that time, they, they had uh, uh, the helicopter service, US, I, I guess SFO. That, that transported um, people who flew into San Francisco you, you were transported to Oakland by helicopter. So, so again, that's another first. I mean, never, yeah. never even been, you know, never even seen a helicopter, uh, you know, operate, let alone get on one and, and, and fly from San Francisco to <laughs> Oakland on it. And then, obviously, the Raiders had people to pick me up. And I remember the drive. Uh, the drive up from Oakland to Santa Rosa. And, man, I remember it was, you know, obviously July. Um, it was hot and dry. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I, it, you know, right now California is much like that right now. Like we're, we're experiencing a mild, somewhat of a drought. Right. Everything is dry and all the hills are, are brown, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, as, you know, as opposed to in, in the, when we get the rains and, and they're all green. But it was amazing to me because there were so many hills and valleys and they were all dry. And I, I had the, I had this doggone sensation that, that, I was somewhere weird, like I was on the moon or something. It was just <laughs> that vast, vast, and, and and that different in terms of the topography, you know, and, and the greenery and that kind of thing like that. And Raymond, and, and Raymond, l- l- let me jump in because I also want to, with the limited time I have left, I want to ask you about the time. Summer Love in 69, Vietnam War, Oakland, California, Bay Area, in the history of this country, you mentioned the assassination of Martin Luther King, where you went to college. I mean, your mind at that time, leaving home with everything happening on the news every night, and you got to focus on being a professional football player. I mean, that makes you grow up pretty quick, huh? You know, you really do. But, you know, I, you know, I give I credit, you know, the university, I credit Morgan and the instructors there and our coaching staff there because they really – I mean, they were extended families. I mean, Coach Banks and the coaching staff there, I mean, were like, I mean, it was like your dad. Mm-hmm. You know, and the coaches, I mean, they, they went above and beyond to try to prepare us, not just athletically or academically, but, you know, but sociologically, you know, to, to try to get us ready for the things that we were going to be experiencing as we traveled, uh, as we left college, you know, whether we were, be professional athletes or going into the workforce or going into the military or, or what. And we had many guys um, on our team in, in, at Morgan uh, that were that went in right into the military. They were they were ROTC officers. We had that program in our school, and and so we had um, a knowledge and a certain and a respect for what was going on. Um, you know, be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the yeah. Vietnam, Vietnam War and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just coming to an end. Um, you know, it, it's just, I can't even explain how exciting it was uh, for a young man, you know, from from uh, from the eastern shore of Maryland. I was born in Cambridge, Maryland. Um, went to school in Baltimore. But um, for, for, for a young man to experience that, and I don't think it's any different today, JT. I think, yeah. I, I think um, irrespective of where, uh, what school, or where a guy comes from, or what his family background is, and whatever. You're in, when you're entering into the NFL as a draft pick or as a free agent, you're entering, you're entering in a whole new universe, a whole new world. A whole world opens up to you. Um, in many cases, in many cases, um, you know you can rely on the skills and experiences that you had or that you got in college. Um, you know, with, with respect to socialization and communication, and and, and you know your education. Right. But boy, the education that you were about to embark on by being an NFL rookie and being drafted um, is something that you can only understand when you experience it. Got it, Raymond. Really it. Raymond, last one with about two minutes left. You could have been drafted twenty-three. You could have been drafted twenty-five. You were number twenty-four in the first round. How did getting drafted by the Raiders change your life? Once a Raider, always a Raider. That pick had a lot to do with you, your life, your family, your friends, Clifford, George, Mister Davis, Mark Davis. I mean, that was a life-defining moment for you. How do you look back on it today? Absolutely. I'm, you know, gratif- you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still gratified, you know, at the Davis family for having drafted me. Uh, the experience that I had, the family that I developed, you know, among the Raider players and coaches and, and administrators and whatever, last today to this day. Um, it, you know, I mean, I am. I feel like I am as close to the guys that I played with and and uh, um, worked for, coaches that I work with and whatever, as I am to my own brothers. Um, and I tell you what. It is amazing. I can only hope. I can only hope that the guys that are that are that are coming into the league today and the guys that are there uh, will will have the type of experience that I have and I continue to have with respect to the family and the brotherhood and and the pride and poise of having been a Raider. 
Thank you, Raymond. I'll see you before the draft, and I'll see you in Canton for Cliff. And I love bumping into you, introducing you at these corporate events. Thanks for doing this on the radio with us. JT, you're the best, man. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. God bless. You got the best. Love you too, Raymond. Raymond Chester. Man, a man who's come into my life only because of my association with the Raiders and has blessed my life. When I show up at an event and they say, hey, you're going to introduce Raymond Chester, I get chills because of what he was able to do as a young African-American man at Morgan State, uh, his background with racial relations and what he's seen in his life. I, you can't imagine everything that Raymond's seen at the highest level. And Raymond has been hurt in the last couple of years because he lost Cliff, one of his best friends, Clem Daniels. You know, all the Raider legends have passed away. Raymond's real tight with all of them. He is, ladies and gentlemen, that is legitimate Raider royalty. And he went to the Colts, and he came back to the Raiders, and he's a Super Bowl champion, and he's one of the nicest people I've ever met. We are all lucky to have Raymond Chester in our life. Thanks again to Modelo, the fighting spirit. Modelo will own the strip, up and down the strip. Modelo will have you ready for what's going to happen at this NFL draft. In that location, are you kidding me? It's going to be unbelievable, and we're going to be a part of it. Modelo. Everyone knows that hard work deserves a fitting reward. Modelo, brewed with the fighting spirit since 1925. The Mavericks' starts have not been great of late. In fact, their last 12 games coming in tonight had trailed at halftime in nine of them, but they were not going to get the Lakers to get any ideas about uh, winning this game. Lakers got annihilated. They gave up 82 points, the most since 1959. 59 in the first half. What an embarrassment as they are out of the playoffs. Joining us from ESPN, the elite insider, Brian Windhorst, kind enough to join us. Brian, thanks for a few minutes, and can you compare this Laker team to anything else you've seen in your career? You know, i got to say, winning a championship is really, really hard. And so this group, you know, LeBron and AD, basically, they did it. And you've got to acknowledge that. Um, But... The decisions that have been made since then just haven't worked. And I just I didn't understand why they've gone so away from the the type of team that won them the title. Uh, I guess you could maybe say that LeBron playing point guard as he did when they won the title, it was just too taxing on him, and maybe they needed to just, you know, de-stress it. But it just didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me that they were the number one defense in the league last year. That was the best thing they had going for them, other than LeBron. Number one defense in the whole league. I mean, you got that. You got a chance to win the whole thing. And they gutted it. And those decisions just didn't make sense to me. Now, I can't sit here and tell you that I thought that, um, that they were going to be in this position. I mean, you know, I didn't know Anthony Davis was going to miss half the season or whatever with injuries, and that's why they're here. Um, but their decisions – for the last two years have gone away from what has gotten them, what's got them the title. And so um, they've had some bad luck, but um, that's where they're, that's where they've landed themselves. And I don't know the answer. I wish I had a dossier. I wish I had a, a good one for that. Um, they've exhausted their resources to build this team and, you know, they won the title. So it's not like, you know, look, they exhausted their resources to get Anthony Davis in large part. I mean, that was a good decision. But at the end of the day, the decisions they've made since have not enabled them to extend the window. So what would be off the table, Brian? Obviously, LeBron's going for Kareem's record. He's the most popular NBA player around the world. He's important to the economics of Crypto.com and the franchise. But Anthony Davis, completely healthy. Russell Westbrook's contract, which is an albatross. Monk is a very good player. I mean, what do you think could be open for conversation from general manager, head coach, and even moving a marquee name. And I don't think they'll move Anthony Davis. They'll give him another opportunity to be healthy. But you think everything is going to be available for a genie bus discussion to tear it down and build it back? Because if you keep LeBron, you're not tearing anything down. He's the cornerstone, but you've got to do a lot of new things around him. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, they don't have a lot of options. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, 
I, I argued they should trade Westbrook for any three players they can trade. I mean, I mean, I, I don't mean to, I don't want to be dismissive of him, but literally any three guys who play basketball in the NBA, if you could trade him for him, you'd do that. Um, and I, I don't know if they can, um, but they should call every team and say, send a, what are you willing to send us for Russell Westbrook? Just because at this point you don't, you're not trading for him as a player. You're trading for him as an expiring contract. You know, if, if the team wants to get off some money long-term, they could dump it all into Westbrook this year. I, I, you just, you literally ask every team in the league and then whatever that deal is, you go from there and you see, you know, what you want to do with your picks. The, the thing that's interesting is that the best thing Rob Polinka has done since GM is draft. He's, mm-hmm. he's really done a good job drafting. He's drafted really good players, but they've traded all of their picks. So he doesn't get to draft anymore. So instead he's trading and signing free agents and his, his, um, the track record on that isn't that great. I mean, you can bring up the Anthony Davis trade. I would say, yeah, obviously it was a great trade, but it was a player who demanded his way to Los Angeles, and they traded the farm for him. It wasn't a shrewd negotiation. So um, I don't know how they get out of it. I don't. Um, I think the most important thing would be to have Anthony Davis and LeBron healthy. If you have them healthy, I think you got a fighting chance. But again, when they won – the title, they were the number one defense in the bubble. And then last year, when they really were championship level before LeBron had the bad you know, injury in his, an- in his ankle, they, they were still you know, championship level defense. They've just gutted it. They, they just are not the team. And, you know, Frank Vogel hasn't had the best year, of course. He hasn't made all the best moves. But he's a guy who's a defensive coach. And they took away all of his, you know, it's like, it's like a chef. You take away all his knives. He's not going to make a very good meal. Brian Windhorst joins us. Brian, one thing I wanted to note through your sources or what you hear, you're so connected around the league, when TNT and ESPN have these national games, and this is an isolated incident, Anthony Davis is injured and LeBron is out. But overall, what could they be thinking about this national television deal with all the injuries we see around the league, all the stars that haven't been available this year? And I'm not talking load management. I'm just talking injuries with a little bit of load management, especially down the stretch where a lot of teams are playing more for the playoffs coming up in a couple of weeks than finishing out the, re- the rest of the regular season. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, the, it's the nature of um, scheduling. You should make the schedule you know, nine months in advance, and the television networks have some maneuverability, but if you know, you know, picking Dallas against Los Angeles for a Tuesday night in late March probably seemed like a pretty darn good idea back in July and it didn't work out. The guys are injured. Bad luck. Um, you know, I will say that uh, one thing we've noticed at ESPN is there's been an uptick in viewers. And I mean, it's not Lakers numbers, mm-hmm. but there's been an uptick in viewers for Nuggets games. More people are getting interested in, in, uh, in Jokic um, I think you'll see the Memphis Grizzlies on national TV a lot more in the future. Of course, we had this big event last week where we made a big blowout of this Nets-Grizzlies uh, game. We had all of our daytime shows from Memphis and all that stuff, and then Jaw was out. It's just bad, mm-hmm. it's just bad yeah. luck. I mean, it's the nature of it. it you know, when you, when, you, when, you, when you purchase the NBA, when you get in, in the NBA, you're wagering on more good things happening than bad, and for the most part, that does happen. Wrapping it up with Brian Windhorst. Brian, what have you seen with the Celtics over the last couple of weeks that could lead you to believe they could beat the Bucs, the Heat, the Sixers, and come out of the East and go to the NBA Finals? Well, number one, they're playing some of the best defense I've seen in the last decade. Um, they play tremendously together with tremendous um, – uh, it's really kind of a simple game plan. They have guards who have great size, not necessarily in height, but in, in strength, and they pressure the heck out of the ball. And then they have really a really smart back line who can protect the front of the rim. And so they're playing defense at a level that is just spectacular. And in the first two or three months of the season, they shot the ball so poorly. And, you know, the analytics said, you know, they should be, you know, the analytics were like, listen, teams who normally get these types of shots should shoot like this. And they're shooting way down here. And the Celtics were saying, you know, we believe our shots are going to fall. And the, and, the, and the models show that we're way underperforming the type of shots we're getting. And I was like, okay, if you say so, well, I'll be darned 
if it hasn't swapped around. And the same shots that they were missing in December, they've been nailing for three months. And as a result, they got the number one offense and the number one defense the last three months. You know how hard that is to do over the course of that time in the NBA? So their setback is that their, um, their, uh, their center, Robert Williams, is going to have to have surgery this week. And I'm not sure if he, you know, they're hoping he's only going to be out maybe for two, three weeks, but it's hard to know. It may be longer than that. There's no such thing as minor knee surgery. But, you know, look, if you're in the Eastern Conference and you're looking at Giannis, especially with what he did in Philadelphia with a tremendous performance, 40-point performance and a comeback win, and you're looking at the Celtics, you're going to have to really bring your game. You know, if you're Brooklyn or Philly, um, you know, you, if you're thinking about beating, you know, both of those teams, because um, you're going to probably have to do that to get out of the East. Ryan, last one. Can you add anything on this Final Four with Coach K having the opportunity to cut down the nets? Maybe be compared, obviously, with Wooden, if not already, and what it would mean to beat a rival in North Carolina if he loses. He ends up with a... 500 record with him he loses his last two games against him and that's a rivalry like red sox yankees or ohio state michigan what's at stake here for you yeah. as just a basketball fan loving saturday into monday for the national championship so i mean mike Krzyzewski, i have a relationship with him he's been nothing but wonderful to me i don't have a single bad word to say about him that said i'm not a guy who roots for duke but um his legacy is secure. If he goes out with a championship, it's a great story. Um, if he goes out in a loss to, to, to Carolina, it's, you know, it doesn't affect his legacy. But I have to say, if you're a Carolina fan, this is the most delicious situation you know, <laughs> for a long time. Because if you could ruin Krzyzewski's last home game, and then you could end his career in the span of a month, and hold that over for years to come. I mean, and look, and if Duke wins, I mean, Duke is the better team. Let's be honest. They're, they should win. If Duke wins and the Carolina says, well, we gave it a try, we go home. If Carolina wins, it's legendary. This team will be legendarily remembered. So the the basketball fan in me says it would be cool if, if Duke won for Krzyzewski and he got to go out on top. The sports writer in me thinks it would be such an amazing story if, you, if UNC pulled this off. Brian, thank you. Got to run top of the hour. Brian.